Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here nationwide. Glad to have you with me. The phone number. Is it just me or every time I say nationwide, I want to say on your side, the effectiveness of an ad campaign. <laughs> the phone number, if you want to be on the program, 877-973-7425. Every once in a while, you can see the coordinated talking points show up. Now, oftentimes, and this may also be the case, it's not that there's some sort of back room where everybody gets together and starts saying the same thing. It's it's one person says it, then another person says it, and oh, well, that sounds good. I'm going to say it too. But this is one of those curious times where it happens so quickly, so suddenly. I suspect there is an email list served somewhere with a bunch of progressives and reporters together, and they have coordinated their talking point, and they should be embarrassed. I'm talking about the uh, response to the uh, parental rights and education law in Florida. I want to read you some headlines. All of these headlines have appeared in the last 24 hours. This is from the Washington Post politics section. The new red scare, the right leans into pedophilia allegations. This is from the Washington Post education section. Teachers who mention sexuality are grooming kids, conservatives say. This is from Vice News. Conservatives are smearing don't say gay opponents as pedophile groomers. This is from The Week. Why are Republicans so concerned about grooming? This is from New York Magazine. Why Republicans are smearing everyone as pedophiles now? And this is from MSNBC. The QAnon part out loud, GOP smears political opponents as pro-pedophile. All of this in the last 24 hours. These are headlines from various news outlets. All in the last 24 hours. CNN as well ran one. Uh, And the basic gist of these headlines is that Republicans are calling anyone who opposes the Parental Rights and Education Act in Florida a groomer or a pedophile. Now, I I got a couple of things that need to be said here. Uh, Number one. You notice I said the parental rights and education law, the left and the media together have called it the don't say gay bill for the last two months. Uh, That's a misstatement of what the law actually does. Also, you should know that a majority of parents, including within the Democratic Party, agree with the intent of the law, which is that you won't talk, teach sex and gender issues until fourth grade. Uh, you're not teaching anal sex in kindergarten under the law, which, by the way, you should know had happened. My buddy Leon Wolf uh, writes about this. And by the way, there's a, there's another one out there. Uh, the groomer talk is just warmed over 1970s homophobia returned. There's not much more to it. Uh, what's so interesting here is you have a bunch of people on the left saying that if if Republicans reference groomers, they're talking about gay men. There's your homophobia to to connect the two there. My buddy Leon Wolf has this Twitter thread. It's worth reading it. Uh, The entire reason we are here is because of journalistic dishonesty. The widespread malpractice and coverage of the parental rights and education legislation in Florida is the real reason for this animus. First off, any journalist who refers to this bill as don't say gay or who knows that others refer to it this way without also noting that the description is objectively false, is too lazy or too dishonest to listen to. It's important to ask 
then why did people come up with this label and apply it to the bill? The answer is that its opponents did not want people to know that they are opposing what the bill actually does. And that is because the main function of the bill is to prevent public school instruction on sex and sexuality to kids aged five to eight. That, you can probably guess, is a wildly popular position to anyone who's been a parent. This applies, by the way, to parents who do not care if their kids are gay or not. Age five is simply too young for a random stranger assigned by a school district to teach your child about sex, end of story, regardless of the sexuality involved. The opponents of this bill did not want it known that they are opposing this, so instead they smeared the bill's proponents as homophobic by lying and calling it the don't say gay law, and the media has carried their water almost unanimously. Now, a lot of people opposing this law do not want public school teachers actually teaching kindergartners about sex or sexuality. They've been led to falsely believe the don't say gay BS and think they're opposing it. They don't deserve to be called groomers. But the people who support the law who have good non-homophobic reasons for doing so are fighting a maddening battle with people who won't even tell the truth about what the law does and should know better, and that's the fault of the people who've lied about it. Frankly, anyone who thinks it's a good idea for kids in grades K through 3 to receive instruction from public school teachers on sex and sexuality has some uncomfortable explaining to do. Most people wouldn't defend the position. They don't even know what they're, they're doing it. Dismissing the punching back against the serial dishonesty about this bill as warmed over homophobia is perpetuating the dishonesty that led us to this point. If you're in the media and covering the story, you've got an obligation to do better with the facts. That's my buddy Leon Wolf on Twitter, and he's right. I mean, this ultimately is the issue. The law simply prohibits public school teachers from teaching about sex and sexuality to kindergarten through third grade. You can in fourth grade under the law, and some people don't even want that, but the law went K through three. And the media did not want to talk about it that way. What the media chose to talk about it as is this is a bill where you're not allowed to say you're gay to your students. It was never true. It was never true. But that's how the media and the left characterized it. When you ask parents, do you want public school teachers teaching your kids about sex in kindergarten, overwhelmingly parents say no. But the media and the Democrats are in the same bubble, and this, this has a larger implication for the Democratic Party. There's already a backlash growing about schools in the country. There's already an education backlash happening. And the reality is the Democrats and the media are in a bubble where they don't understand or appreciate the backlash. And the loudest voices within the Democratic Party and the media are the ones who are opposed to this backlash, who think there should be no backlash, who think what public schools have been doing is legitimate and we should be defending them. And so they are advancing the narratives that attack parents and attack decency standards across the country that parents support. And the Democrats listen to those voices because the other voices aren't in the bubble. And so they begin to attack as well, and they lie, and the media lies with them. If you oppose the legislation for it, if you don't support it, I don't think you're a groomer or a pedophile. 
But I also don't think you really understand what the law says because the media has flagrantly refused to be honest. And the reason there is a pushback from the right calling these people groomers, for those of you who don't know what grooming is, uh, it is it's a process by which someone gets a child comfortable with the idea of being sexually abused so that they don't realize they're being sexually abused or comfortable with being in a cult in ways uh, that it, it detaches them from reality of what is acceptable. When you're teaching kindergartners about sex, which some teachers in Florida had done, it begins to get those kids comfortable with those sorts of ideas and make sex a more permissive topic for a young person, which then makes the deviant people of society more likely to probably go uh, try to proceed to groom those kids. That's why they're calling it a groomer bill or anti-groomer bill. You can disagree with the characterization, but you should at least be willing to acknowledge that teaching a kindergartner about sex probably isn't a wise way to handle kindergarten. The media, however, can't do that. They can't because they're so in the bubble with the Democrats. And again, this gets back to the larger problem here that you really need to understand, particularly if you're a Democrat, you need to understand this problem. You have no one within your tent willing to tell you what you're doing deviates from the mainstream of America. You don't. There is another policy here completely removed from sex, gas prices. The Democrats are so convinced that everyone wants immediate clean energy and everyone can afford a Tesla because everyone in their circle of friends can afford a Tesla – they're okay with higher gas prices. You have Pete Buttigieg going out saying essentially that that the pain is the point. Keeping gas prices high will convert people to having to buy electric cars or just stop driving, and that's good for the environment. And the Democrats think this is a good thing because there's no one in their bubble to tell them otherwise. There's no one in the Democratic bubble to tell them that Latinx is an insulting phrase that they should not use within the Hispanic Latino community. There's no one there to tell them that. And so they keep doing it. A bunch of white progressives do this. And there's no one in their bubble to confront them. And so now in Florida, there's a real culture war fight. Now, keep in mind, they can say that the Republicans here passing this law are the the culture warriors, but it's not the conservatives who decided to rush into kindergarten to teach kids about sex. It's the Democrats who decided to do that. It's progressive teachers who decided to do that. There are random documentation regularly now on Twitter about teachers of elementary school kids who have TikTok accounts who are bragging about teaching their kids about these things to make them comfortable with it because the parents and the teachers' minds aren't doing it. I can't play you the audio of some of these things because there's so much profanity in it. Couldn't allow it on terrestrial radio. But there's an account called Libs of TikTok. You go on Twitter, you find this account. You go on TikTok and find it as well. And they document these crazy teachers of elementary school students who really believe that the best way to build acceptance of transgenderism and, and homosexuality in the country is to go on in kindergarten and start indoctrinating children into acceptable conduct and phraseology. Believe it or not, a lot of parents who are open-minded, tolerant, and pro-gay rights don't want their kindergartners taught anal sex. And the media and the Democrats 
can't figure that out. That's the the most bizarre thing here. I read you all these headlines. From the Washington Post to MSNBC to CNN and all points in between. That that uh, Republican conservatives, they're, they're going all QAnon, accusing everyone of pedophilia. That's, that's not it. But by the way, I, I got to tell you something that's somewhat mean of me. If you're going to lie about the legislation and you're going to lie about the people advancing the legislation, don't be surprised when they lie about you. Don't be surprised when they take your taxes back. No, you shouldn't lie. You should tell the truth. But I have a hard time getting upset about a bunch of Republicans calling these people groomers and pedophiles after three months of sustained attacks against them for wanting this piece of legislation passed, for mischaracterizing the law, for mischaracterizing the supporters of the law, for mischaracterizing what the law actually does. I I got a hard time being really upset about this. You reap what you sow. And they're reaping a lot right now, and they're upset about it. The Washington Post is upset about it. But there's the larger issue here. And this goes back to in 24 hours, we've had all these headlines on the same story from a bunch of media outlets. That tells me that this isn't some sort of organic thing where one person said something and the next person said, oh, yeah, I think I'm going to take that tack too, which is usually what happens. That tells me that somewhere these conversations are being had, either in a Slack chat or an email or something, between progressives and reporters, and all the reporters are getting their talking points and they're going out and running these stories and these headlines. And that tells me that the Democrats can't escape their bubble. They can't escape their bubble on this issue. They can't escape this bubble on on gas prices. They can't escape this bubble on education issues in general. They can't escape this uh, bubble on defunding the police and, and crime and taxes. If they're that far into the bubble that you can have major media outlets in less than 24 hours all run the same story unquestioned with the same talking point, none of which is true, they have no recognition of the red wave coming in November that's going to wipe them out. They think it's all messaging, and you hear this from Democrats now. The problem is messaging. The problem isn't messaging. The problem is you've lost touch with the heartland. You've lost touch with the voters. You've lost touch with everyone except people in your Slack group. And in November, you will see just how badly out of touch you are. But don't worry, don't worry. You'll never have to realize it. You'll never have to realize it. What you'll do instead is go to the next talking point, that the Republicans changed the law and stole the vote. It'll be the Democrats in November claiming Republicans stole the vote and suppressed the vote. They will never have to actually rationalize, realize, recognize, or admit just how out of touch they've become with the American people to the extent that Democrats and the media seem to think that parents are okay with teaching their kindergartners about sex. And uh, you're a bigot if you think otherwise. I don't understand how they think this is going to work. There's real damage to be done here to the Democrats. I'm kind of enjoying watching this happen. But if they can't realize what a bubble they're in, they've got bigger problems. And this is the beginning of something far worse for them to come. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I got some bad news for y'all. This is from CNN earlier this morning. Um, It appears a, well, Deutsche Bank is the first major financial institution to say a recession is on the way. Deutsche Bank forecasting a recession in the United States could start late 
next year. That's the first major financial institution with such a prediction. CNN's chief business correspondent Christine Romans here with that. What's going on? Yeah, look, no question Putin's war in Ukraine is uh, making the inflation outlook even worse. The Fed is already trying to tackle inflation running at the hottest in 40 years. And then Russia invaded Ukraine, sending oil, grains, metals prices soaring. China has these new COVID lockdowns that that could disrupt supply again. The consensus is that recession risks are rising, but this is the first bold call that a recession in the U.S. will happen. The Deutsche Bank economists predict a mild recession later next year, writing, quote, we no longer see the Fed achieving a soft landing. Instead, we anticipate that a more aggressive tightening of monetary policy will push the economy into a recession. The Fed is already raising interest rates, tapping the brakes on the U.S. economy. Last year, the strongest economy since the Reagan administration, don't forget, Goldman Sachs puts the risk of a recession in the U.S. as high as 35 percent. Moody's chief economist Mark Zandi sees recession risks rising, but thinks the Fed does have the tools to raise rates aggressively and still avoid a recession. The bigger risk, John, is Europe, where economies depend heavily on Russian oil and gas. Goldman Sachs expects oil prices will hit 125 bucks a barrel in the fourth quarter. But economists there at Goldman say oil prices are, are high, that high, but unlikely to trigger a recession in the U.S. Oh, it's not good. Uh, and the problem is, you heard Christine Romans from CNN say that the variables out there, there are so many variables and none of them trending in the right direction. The Chinese have gone back into lockdown. They're locking down whole cities. There's this this Hunger Games-like video that's circulated online that's been verified of Chinese citizens on their balconies singing, um, eh, protesting, wanting food. They're hungry. People aren't delivering their food to them. And a drone runs by and basically says, tells them to stop singing, go inside, close your doors, uh, don't don't attempt this for your soul or some such. It, it, it's all in Chinese. But it's been verified as true. The Chinese are flying drones over these neighborhoods, making people stay inside with their windows closed as COVID spreads in China. Uh, there are more than 300 ships backed up in the Chinese port at Shanghai, normally only 100. So we're going to have more supply chain problems. We're going to have uh, bigger issues with tightening around the world. We're going to have more interest rates going up. The yield curve has inverted and hasn't come undone yet. That's a terrible sign. A recession is coming. They say it's going to be a mild recession, but you know when it's going to hit? Right about the time Joe Biden's reelection campaign starts up or another Democrat moves forward with the election campaign. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. Uh, the phone number is 877-973-7425. I want to give you guys a, a little bit of historic background from my perspective. Um, I have, I, I've been in politics since the mid-90s in college. Started running political campaigns. Really got, uh actively involved in running political campaigns in the early 2000s, uh, right out of law school, was a lawyer, did uh, political campaign management, political strategy, campaign strategy. Uh, then I, I became a political writer in 2005, 2004, 2005, uh, became a TV uh, political analyst for CNN in 2009, into 2009. Uh, moved over to Fox in 2013, was there until 2018, still do TV now, uh, been on CNN and Fox. In fact, I was supposed to be on Fox last night. They canceled it at the last minute. Uh, News Nation, I've been on HBO's Bill Maher a couple times a year. 
uh, meet the press. Uh, I, I've had a talk radio program since 2011. I've guest hosted for Rush Limbaugh for a number of years. I have seen political cycles. I have seen political cycles that go my way. I have seen political cycles that go against me. I have seen Republican waves. I have seen Democratic waves. My first election night on television was the 2010 midterm election night. Believe it or not, I'm not making this up. I was on television for 26 straight hours. 26 straight hours. I was punch drunk and delirious, and man, I got stories that are not appropriate to tell on radio uh, about the end of that night, uh, that that run. I had uh, an hour where I, I was able to get some food during that time, but I mean, I was nonstop, and the problem was I was new to CNN, and they had the night shift schedule and the day shift schedule, and I was so new. I'd been on television there since the end of 2009, but never an election. They kind of forgot about me. So the night people and the day people were putting me on the schedule, forgetting to talk to each other, and I got on Anderson Cooper the 10 p.m. the night after the election, and uh, what was his name? Jim Walton, I think his name was, was the president of the uh, CNN at the time. And he actually called and asked why I was on, that he had literally seen me every hour that he had been watching CNN since the night before, and they finally realized what they had done. And I was exhausted, and but I was there for that. Now, for perspective, Barack Obama holds the record for most congressional seats lost by a president in a midterm election, 67. 67 seats. I was there for that. I was there in 2012 when Romney lost and the Republicans did okay. And in 2014, I was at Fox for when the Republicans took back the Senate. I was at Fox in 2016 when the Republicans won and no one, including the Trump team, really didn't think they were going to win. By 2018, I was leaving Fox, but I was doing a lot of TV. I was doing a lot of Meet the Press, doing a lot of HBO, doing some CNN and some Fox uh, for the Democratic wave that came. Everybody kind of knew it was going to come. The only people who didn't were the most aggressive partisans. And and when I was warning talk radio listeners in 2018 that it was going to go badly for the GOP, my gosh, the anger and rage. And I was right. I knew I was. I'd lived these cycles before. You see these cycles. You know the patterns. The party in the White House tends to do poorly in a midterm. And they all have something in common. They all have a familiarity to them. You saw it with the Republicans in 2018. You saw it with the Democrats in 2014. You saw it big with the Democrats in 2010. And you are seeing it now with the Democrats. It is the same prevailing theme. If you listen, I'm going to tell you what it is. I'm going to tell you, and you're not going to be able to unhear it. And you will start hearing it everywhere. Uh, what, what is it um, when you, you haven't heard something in a while and, and uh, then all of a sudden you start hearing it all the time? I forget what the name of it is. Someone will someone will text me. Um, but you hear a word and then all of a sudden you hear it all the time. This is what's going to happen to you. I apologize in advance. You are now going to become very aware of the fact that Democrats 
headed into the 2022 midterm election. Yeah, Bader-Meinhof. I knew, Philip, thank you. Yes. I thought bader I, I knew it was Bader-Meinhof. And yes, the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon is when you hear a word that you've never heard before, and then you, you learn what it means, and then you start hearing it everywhere. You can't stop hearing it. And you're like, has have people just started saying it? No, it's because you cut your brain kind of processed it through. Now that you understand what it is, you process it every time differently. And so it sounds everywhere. It becomes ubiquitous. What you're going to start hearing is the Democrats talk about message. The messaging. This happens in every single election with the party that is losing. They start complaining that their messaging is not getting out there or they need to fix their messaging or they've got a message to sell. And then they'll flip and and they'll start talking about their grassroots strength as well. My buddy Mike Krimbaski pointing this out. I I put this up as a tweet. He's like, oh, and they'll talk about their grassroots strength. Yes, they'll do that too. They'll talk about the the underappreciated size of their grassroots army that's coming to save them. But they start with message. They say it's our message. We, we've got a message, and, and we got to talk about our message, and it's that message, and if we can just get out that message, the voters will appreciate our message, and our message is sound, and our message is good, and our message, 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 message. It's all about the message. You don't believe me? Here now, the former president of the United States yesterday at the White House, Barack Hussein Obama, who holds the record for most seats lost in Congress in a single midterm. Mr. President, what do you say to Democrats worried about the midterms? What do you tell Democrats worried about the midterms? We got a story to tell, just got to tell it. Got a story to tell, just got to tell it. There you go, the message, got a story to tell, got to tell it. Guess what? That's what he said in 2010, too. That's what Hillary Clinton said. On Meet the Press the other day, Hillary Clinton popped out of her coffin, went on Meet the Press. She says, oh, we, we got a story to tell. It's the message. We've got a great message. We can talk about our message. It's what Hillary Clinton said. It's what Nancy Pelosi says. We've got a message. Y'all, I'm not kidding. Go back to when I started my television career at CNN as a political analyst. When your party starts saying we've got a message to tell and we got a good message and we're going to message, message it, message it, message it, message it, it means you know you're losing. And the reason is because this is important. Your story should tell itself. Your story should tell itself. And the story that's being told right now is not a good story for the Democrats. The yield curve has gone wonky. When the yield curve inverts, that means that you actually make more money on a uh, short-term bond than a long-term bond. It means a recession is afoot. This is from the Financial Times two hours ago. Bond markets are flashing a warning signal about the growth prospects of the U.S. economy just as central bankers prepare to tackle soaring inflation with higher interest rates. The gap between long-term and short-term government borrowing rates in big developed economies has narrowed drastically. In the U.S., a so-called yield curve inversion occurred last week for the first time since 2019, an event that in the past has been the harbinger of economic downturns. 
Historically, a U.S. recession tends to follow a year after the curve inverts. Though the variance is large and there are occasional false positives. The problem is that uh, if one yield curve inverts, it can be a false positive. All of the yield curves inverted. All of them. Retail gloom builds on weaker consumer demand. Wall Street is growing increasingly cautious, according to Yahoo Finance and Bloomberg, on apparel and footwear companies ahead of their next earnings reports amid rising concerns that consumer demand will flag and inflation will remain high. Wells Fargo Securities cut its 2022 earnings per share estimates across the industry on Tuesday, while Barclays downgraded the retail sector to a hold equivalent rating last week. Meanwhile, the president of the United States is going to defer student interest payments, student loan interest payments, again, or student loan payments in general. The president is going to defer making students pay back student loans again. If the economy is so good and unemployment is so low, why are you deferring these payments again? Yeah, certainly it's, it, it's an election year issue, but it's an election year issue where the economy is not doing as well as they claim. And then there's the whole housing situation. Mortgage interest rates are crossing 5% for the first time in years. The yield curve inversion suggesting the recession is driving that up. There's lots of new inventory for houses set to be released in popular markets with a rising cost of living. The home prices are exceeding uh, rational demand. It means there's exuberance in the market, which tends to precede a housing bubble as well. There are shortages at the grocery store. This is from the Wall Street Journal. Activity in China's sector services sector tumbled in March at its fastest pace since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic as lockdowns aimed at smothering outbreaks in major cities kept millions at home and pummeled consumer spending. The data adds to signs the world's second largest economy will struggle to meet growth goals for the year as set by Beijing as authorities wrestle with China's worst COVID-19 outbreak on Tuesday. Authorities extended a sweeping lockdown in Shanghai, an industrial powerhouse and major port, adding to renewed anxiety about global supply chains. Yesterday, they came out with a report on Democratic focus groups of Democratic voters and why Democratic voters are not enthusiastic about going to the polls. Do you know what one woman said? And of course, it, listen, I'm sorry, it was a woman. Of course, it was a white progressive Democratic woman. Do you know what her concern was? There are food shortages at Whole Foods. That's right. At Whole Foods, there are empty store shelves. Heaven forbid. There are food shortages at Whole Foods. The Democrats are depressed. Y'all, this is a recurring pattern you got to understand. The economy is not doing well. And the Democrats can message it all they want. They can say it's the strongest economy we've had. They can say all of these things... But people know the message is bad. And how bad is the message now? This is the chairman of the Democratic Party this morning on Morning Joe on MSNBC. You know, in a Senate where there's Ted Cruz and Lindsey Graham, Tom Cotton is the lowest of the low. You know, a few years ago when Barack Obama was president of the United States, there was a, a person that he had appointed to be ambassador to Bahamas. 
a friend of his, Cassandra Butts. Cassandra worked on Capitol Hill. We all knew her. She was brilliant. Cassandra had leukemia. She was up for uh, confirmation, and Tom Cotton blocked her confirmation. 835 days she waited to be confirmed ambassador of Bahamas. And when asked why he was holding up her confirmation, he said because he wanted to hurt Barack Obama. It shows you who this little uh, maggot-infested man is. Uh, he does not deserve to have that pen. He doesn't deserve to be in the United States Senate representing the good people of Arkansas. He doesn't deserve and doesn't know. And Joe hit the nail on the head. He put his hand on the Bible, took an oath of office to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. And he uses it as a play toy. That is the Republican Party that we see today. It is a party built on fraud, fear, and fascism. Fraud, fear, and fascism, and calls Tom Cotton a maggot. A man who served honorably in the military of the United States in a war zone. The Democratic Party chairman going on MSNBC saying that is about base mobilization. That's their message now. They've got to fear and incite the base because they've lost middle America. They've lost the moderates. They've lost the independents. Y'all, I've been doing this for a long time. I understand the cycles, and there will come again a cycle where it's the Republicans who are complaining about messaging. And I will tell you then, because I told you the same thing in 2018, and some of you got mad at me, that it meant the GOP was losing and on defensive, on the defense. It's true. It's absolutely true. That's the reality of it. You may not like it, but it's true. When you hear the party in power complaining that their message is not breaking through, and by the way, that party in power has a biased media in support of them doing everything they can to help them, and they still think they can't get their message out, uh, maybe it's not the message. Maybe it's them. All right, uh, the awkward subject of the day. I'm just going to apologize. Uh, I don't, uh, it's a news, people are talking about it. This is a talk news program, news and talk. And this is both news and people are talking about it. So I, I feel obligated, but I don't really, ew. A Southwest passenger has been arrested for, I don't even want to see the M word on radio. How about self-pleasure? Touching himself four times during flight. A man on a Southwest Airlines flight uh, faces federal charges after um, uh, toying with himself at least four times during the flight. The Daily Beast reports it happened on a flight from Seattle to Phoenix. The criminal complaint obtained by the site claimed it happened on Southwest Flight 3814 on April 2nd. Anthony Sherrod uh, McGarrity, a name that will live in infamy is accused of um, rubbing one out four times in a seat next to a female passenger. The woman took photos. When he fell asleep, she told the flight crew what happened. They moved her to another seat on the flight. She turned the photos over to Phoenix police. When the flight landed, the FBI interviewed him, said he didn't think the female passenger was uncomfortable with him. Why would he? I mean, she's taking pictures of him. Thought it was kind of kinky. Took him four times to fall asleep. I mean, that that's that's his excuse there is he didn't have Ambien on the plane. And I, I, I just, who does this? Okay, first of all, 
first of all, who sits there and takes pictures four times he does this on a couple-hour flight, four times he does this, and she takes pictures the whole time. And then only when he falls asleep does she request a new seat. Show's over, need a new seat. And and him, he does it four times. And um, my goodness gracious, I I just, I mean, who? I'm, I'm looking at the, um, trying to find that. No, that can't be, um, that can't be. I'm just, this is bizarre. I, uh, who does this stuff, y'all? And who take, okay, seriously, there are a couple of complicated, they shouldn't be complicated, but you take, you sit there next to the dude, four rounds of him doing this, and you take pictures the whole time, wait for him to put himself to sleep, and then decide, now's the time that he's asleep, I need a new seat now. And then you do this, with the woman taking pictures and you are um you're you're like oh i thought she liked it she was kinky um i feel bad for uh, amir katri amir katri is a writer for showbiz news and ugh it's 2022 things are still crazy Things haven't settled down. And now you got the Federal Reserve and interest rates. You got the economy. You got inflation. A lot of banks won't even return your phone call. Let's say you're a small business and you need a loan for $750,000 or higher. You see an opportunity where banks, they don't even want to see you. You want to buy a building. You want to build a building. Reach out to the Frost family at First Liberty Building and Loan. They've been helping small businesses become big businesses since the 1990s. They want to help you if they can. So spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a good fit for them and they're a good fit for you. Their website is firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. Again, you need a loan, $750,000 or higher. You're a small business and you see an opportunity to grow. Share it with the Frost family and see if they can help you. Firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. First Liberty Building and Loan can help businesses nationwide become bigger businesses.